Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, good morning, everybody. Now, for those of you who are exceptionally astute, you've picked up on something. I'm not here. I'm on video. And for that reason, I just want to make three quick statements before I start. Number one, I want to say thank you. Number two, I want to set expectations. And number three, I want to state the obvious. So number one, I want to say thank you. I love being a pastor at this church. I love being a preacher at this church. Absolutely love it. But it should be stated that preaching at this church is not my primary role on this planet. It's not. My, my most important role, my first earthly role is to be a husband to Corinne, to be a father to my kids, to be a grandfather to my three grandkids. And I say thank you. Because the fact that I'm preaching on video right, right now means that I can spend a few days with my family, and I absolutely appreciate it. So number one, I want to say thank you. Number two, let's set expectations. I work really, really hard at every sermon I preach. This process started about five and a half months ago. I research and I pray and I study and I write and I research and I rewrite and I edit and I study and I pray some more and I come to the point where I am absolutely sure that the word that God has given me is gonna be faithfully given to you. I would never preach a message unless I knew that. And I'm absolutely convinced today that the word that God has given me for you is exactly the right word for the right time. And so I want us to set our expectations. I'm not here, but God's here. And I know that the truth that he's given me to speak today could absolutely change your life. The truth that he's given me to speak to you today could be applied actually as early as this afternoon. It's really, really simple, but it's not easy. So much of life is like that, right? Simple, but not easy. But I am really, really excited for what God wants to do today. So let's set our expectations high. And thirdly, I want to state the obvious. This is not a motivational talk. This is not words of Mike Manis. We've invited God into this process. He's gone before us into this spectacular moment. It's why we're taking a journey through the gospel of John in the first place. We said, God, we want to use this journey through this gospel not just to know about Jesus, and that's great, but actually to know him. I can't tell you how many times people come up to me after preaching and they're like, Mike, how did you know exactly what I was walking through? How did you know exactly what was going on in my life? And of course, the truth is I don't. I don't know what's going on in your life, but God does. So five and a half months ago when I started working on this sermon. God knew that you'd be watching online right now. You'd be here in person right now. And he knew exactly what you needed to apply in your life today. So I'm so grateful to him. Just one more thing before I start. Every time I preach on video, I'll have one or two people come up to me afterwards and say, wow, Mike, you're a lot better looking on video than you are in real life. Okay. And I have a comeback because I've heard that so many times now. I have a comeback that I always use, okay? So if you're thinking about doing that, I'm going to give you my comeback so we can just avoid that, the awkward interchange, okay? So you're going to walk up to me and you're going to say some semblance of this, some, something like this. Mike, you're way better looking on video than you are in real life. And I'm going to say, how is that possible? And then we're going to laugh awkwardly and move on, okay? So now we got that over with. 
If you read through the New Testament Gospel of John, you'll notice that about half of the Gospel is devoted to one week, the week that culminates with the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, five out of the 21 chapters in the Gospel of John are devoted to John describing the events that have come to be known as the Last Supper. That's a lot of chapters. And I want to talk again about why. See, Jesus is just hours away from being arrested, which is going to set off a whole series of events. After he's arrested, he's placed on trial. He's executed. He dies on a cross. On the third day, he rises again. After his resurrection, Jesus sticks around for 40 days. He encouraged, he inspires. He appears to crowds as large as 500 people. This is historical fact. And so 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascends back into heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit to work within and among his followers. 10 days after Jesus ascends to heaven is the day known as Pentecost. In the city of Jerusalem, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, stands up and he preaches this sermon. And Jesus uses that sermon to save thousands of people. And the church age is born. We're still in the church age today. I guess what I'm saying is that as Jesus spoke to his disciples in that upper room, he was preparing them not just for the hours and days to come, but for the years and the decades, maybe even the centuries. That the words that were spoken at the Last Supper are every bit as impactful and important to you and me as they were to the people in that room. So let's jump in. John chapter 15, starting at verse 18. Jesus says this, If you find the godless world is hating you, remember it got its start hating me. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. When that happens, remember this, servants don't get better treatment than their masters. If they beat on me, they will certainly beat on you. If they did what I told them, they will do what you tell them. They're going to do all these things to you because of the way they treated me, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I hadn't come and told them all this in plain language, it wouldn't be so bad. As it is, they have no excuse. Hate me, hate my father. It's all the same. If I hadn't done what I have done among them, works no one has ever done, they wouldn't be to blame. But they saw the God signs and hated anyway, both me and my father. Interesting. They have verified the truth of their own scriptures where it is written, they hated me for no good reason. When the friend I plan to send you from the father comes, the spirit of truth issuing from the father, he will confirm everything about me. You too, from your side, must give your confirming evidence since you were in this with me from the start. This is the third of three weeks that we've spent parked on this passage, talking about our relationship with the world. Jesus tells us three things. Number one, we talked about this two weeks ago, this world will hate you. Last week, we talked about point number two, that this world will let you down. And today, I want to talk about the third and final point, this world needs you. This world needs you. Back in February was the Super Bowl. And at the Super Bowl, there was a series of ads that were run on the American channels. The series was called, He Gets Us. Commercials all about Jesus. I heard of an interview with the creative 
director of the He Gets Us campaign. And they asked him, what was the purpose behind these commercials? And he said, well, it's really simple. We wanted to introduce Jesus to people who had never met him. We wanted to introduce Jesus without distractions. The interviewer asked the question that you probably would have asked if you would have been there. What do you mean by distractions? And the head of the creative team of the He Gets Us campaign said, I mean Christians. That's a pretty tough statement. So what he was saying is this, too often, Christians in the world today in 2023, instead of drawing people to Jesus, they distract people from Jesus. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. He does have a little bit of a point. It was Gandhi who was asked once, what do you have against Jesus? And Gandhi said, I have nothing against Jesus. I like your Christ. I just don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. But too often in the world, followers of Jesus, instead of drawing people to him, distract people from him. And it would be easy for me to stand up here right now and say, you know who that is, right? It's like all those people in the other churches. They are biffing it. Or all those other pastors, all those other preachers, you know, bunch of wingnuts, they are just misrepresenting Jesus like crazy. You know, it's like Jesus is love, and they're like Bon Jovi says, they're giving love a bad name. But if I said all of that, it would be somewhat disingenuous because here's the absolute truth. There have been times in my life, there are times in my life when I do a bad job of representing Jesus. So I think about that interview. We wanted to introduce Jesus to people who had never met him. We wanted to introduce Jesus without distractions, without Christians. It kind of makes sense. You have to admit he has a point. There's only one problem with it. It's wrong. It simply doesn't work that way. That's not the way that God set it up. People will get to know Jesus when you and me live lives that draw people to him. In this passage, Jesus says it this way, you must, you must, you must give your confirming evidence. You must. That if Jesus is love and Jesus is hope and peace and strength and kindness and joy and peace, then your life should confirm it. You must, Jesus says, you must give your confirming evidence. And so that's what I want to talk about today. This world needs you. This world needs me. How do we live lives that draw people to Jesus instead of distract people, even repel people from him? How do we do that? See, I don't, I don't think it requires us, by the way, to live flawlessly, but I think it does require us to follow faithfully. I don't think we need to live flawlessly, but I do think we need to follow Jesus faithfully. And when we do that, our lives are going to actually give confirming evidence. We're going to draw people to him. So what I want to do is I want to give you kind of a a self-perpetuating cycle that I designed today to live a life that draws people to Jesus. Okay. But before I get to it, I want to start here. 
It always starts with faith. Romans chapter 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. When you place your faith in Jesus, you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. He puts a new spirit in you. You are saved. Today, tomorrow, forever saved. That's it. And I say that knowing that there's people watching online right now, there's people here in person right now, and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. You're not so sure. You're still checking out the Jesus thing. I want to tell you, we are so glad you're here. I am going to give you a heads up, though. At the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to place your faith in Jesus. I think it's the best decision you could ever make. I want you to try I want you to try. Like if, if, if you come across some Christians, if you come across some churches that have distracted you from Jesus, even repelled you from Jesus, I want you to try. I want you to try to separate yourself from them and look to Jesus today. I'm not talking about your politics. I'm not talking about your morality. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history. He loves you so much. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. That's it. So if you've come along some, maybe you've been away from church for a long, long time. Maybe this is your first time ever in a church and you've stayed away for so long because there's been too many people that have distracted you from Jesus with their claims to be followers of Jesus, but getting it wrong. If that's the case, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I think you're really gonna enjoy this sermon because what I wanna do is I wanna lay out today what it should look like when we live lives that draw people to Jesus. Okay, so this is a self-perpetuating cycle. If you're a follower of Jesus, man, you're gonna love this. This is the lives that we should live. Not easy, but really simple. Number one, starts with gratitude. Gratitude. We never stop celebrating God's amazing grace. Gratitude. Never forget where you were when Jesus saved you. Never forget who you were when Jesus saved you. For me, it was the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. And I know some of you are looking at me right now going, Mike, we know, we know, we know, we get it, we get it, we get it. I'm not sure you do. I'm, I'm not sure you realize this. I will keep talking about that until I can't talk anymore. I never want to forget God's amazing grace. I never want to forget where I was at, who I was. I was at the end of myself. I was broken and lost and lonely. I was afraid, insecure, and angry. And I cried out to Jesus. And he said, you don't have to yell. I'm right here. I've always been right here. All you need to do is ask. And he saved me. You get it? I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. I was in bondage, but his amazing grace has set me free. Gratitude, 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 gratitude. We never stop celebrating God's amazing grace. Where were you when Jesus saved you? Who were you when Jesus saved you? Where would you be if it wasn't for Jesus? Who would you be if it wasn't for Jesus? First Thessalonians 5 says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The old preacher Charles Spurgeon once held up a Bible and he said this, turn this book over and see if there be any precept that the Lord has given you in which he has said, groan in the Lord always. And again, I say groan. 
You may groan if you like. You have Christian liberty for that. But at the same time, do believe that you have larger liberty to rejoice, for so it is put before you. You can groan, we can groan, we can grumble. In some ways, it seems easier to grumble and groan than it is to be grateful, to be glad. But we're gonna choose to be glad. We're gonna choose to be grateful. You know why? Because we're never gonna stop celebrating God's amazing grace. So number one, it's gratitude. We never stop celebrating God's amazing grace. And our gratitude fuels our trust, right? Because we look back and see how trustworthy God has been in those moments. And suddenly we're willing to trust him in this spectacular moment and in all the moments to come. Trust. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke chapter five that I just love so much. Peter and his crew, they've been fishing all night on the Sea of Galilee, haven't caught a single thing. So the night's over and it's morning and they've cleaned their nets off and just about ready to go home and Jesus showed up, shows up at the seashore and he uses Peter's boat. He pushes out into shallow water on Peter's boat and he uses, uses the natural amplification of the water to speak to a crowd that's on the shore. Pretty incredible. And when Jesus' sermon is over, he says to Peter, hey, Peter, uh, let's push out into deep water, okay? And we're just gonna drop the nets. And in that moment, Peter's like, I don't want to, and it doesn't make sense. I don't want to, and it doesn't make sense. Peter didn't wanna push out into deep water. He didn't wanna lower the nets. They've been fishing all night. They're frustrated. They're exhausted. They just wanna go home. Right? They, they clean the nets. If they drop the nets again, they're going to have to clean them again. He's like, I don't want to. He's got to be thinking that, and it doesn't make sense. Peter's probably looking at Jesus going, hey, Jesus, you're a great speaker. Like, you speak with power and authority. It's absolutely incredible. And I love it. And you were raised by a carpenter named Joseph, and I'm a fisherman. I come from seven generations of fishermen, and I can tell you right now, you don't fish on the Sea of Galilee during the day. You fish at night. And so I don't want to go out. But Peter looks at Jesus, and even though he doesn't want to, and it doesn't make sense, he says to Jesus, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. That's trust. Man, we, we look back at all the moments that he's been trustworthy behind us, and in this spectacular moment, when he asks us to step out in faith, even the times when we don't feel like it, and it doesn't make sense, we say, Jesus, my gratitude has fueled my trust, and because you say so, I will. So step one, gratitude. I never stop celebrating God's amazing grace. Step two, trust. Jesus, because you say so, I will. Step three is courage, courage, courage. We live in a culture riddled by anxiety, fear everywhere, fear of the past, fear of the present, fear of the future, fear of getting sick, fear of dying, fear of missing out, fear of coming up short, fear of not measuring up, fear of not getting my fair share, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of losing someone I love, fear after fear after fear after fear. It's interesting though because the Bible says God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Like in a culture that's losing its mind because of fear, God says, I, I gave you power and love and a sound mind. Power and love and a sound mind. It's really incredible because 
The minute that you place your faith in Jesus, he puts a new spirit in you, power, love, sound mind. He works that in you. Now, when you let your gratitude fuel your trust and you say, Jesus, because you said so, I will. And when you step out in obedience, you work out what God has worked in. So all of a sudden, your life begins to manifest as you trust him. Your life begins to manifest power and love and a sound mind. You become courageous. When my, my kids were little, they watched this show called VeggieTales. And I remember one particular song said this, God is bigger than the boogeyman. And that's really true, you know. What's the boogeyman for you? Fear of rejection? Fear of getting sick, fear of dying, fear of losing someone you love. What is it for you? God is bigger, you know? In Psalm chapter 23, David says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know why? Because you're with me, because you're with me. You know that? He, he goes before you, right? So the, those fears that you have for tonight, for tomorrow, for next year, for, for, for decades from now, he's already stepped into those moments. He's, always, he's already prepared that moment for you. He's right there. And he walks beside you every step of the way. He's always been with you and he always will be. And he goes behind you. He's your rear guard. See, because of his forgiveness, because of his mercy, because of his grace, you are past your past and the best is yet to come. So it starts here. Gratitude. Gratitude. I never stop celebrating God's amazing grace. And our gratitude fuels our trust. Jesus, because you say so, I will. And my trust fuels my courage. God is bigger than the boogeyman, whatever the boogeyman is to you. And that fuels, in turn, your vision. Imagine the life that you could live if fear was not a factor for you. Imagine the dreams that you could pursue if fear was not a factor for you. Imagine the things you could create if fear was not a factor for you. Imagine the risks that you could take if fear was not a factor for you. Hey, single guys, imagine the girls you could ask out if fear was not a factor for you. And even as I say that, I understand there's gonna be some girls that are gonna be a little upset with me right now because they're like, Mike, this guy is finally, I finally convinced him to stop asking me out and now he's gonna start again. So let me rephrase that. Single guys, imagine all the girls that you could ask out if fear was not a factor for you as long as you haven't asked them out before. And if you've asked them out at least three times and they've said no each time, it's over, man, let it go. Okay, but imagine the life that you and I could live if fear was not a factor. Imagine the vision. See, I think God's plan for you, God's plan for me, God's plan for us is that we would live big and we would live bright. One of my favorite passages of scripture is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says this, Companions, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has given us. God reminds us, I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. Well, now is the right time to listen. The day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed. Working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure heart, 
clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, and honest love, when we're telling the truth and when God's showing his power, when we're doing our best setting things right, when we're praised and when we're blamed, slandered and honored, true to our word though distrusted, ignored by the world but recognized by God, terrifically alive though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives but refusing to die, immersed in tears yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts yet enriching many, having nothing, having it all. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. I love that so much. I think in our culture, we're continually tempted to settle for small. <clears throat> Live a life that's kind of just devoted to me. You know, my, my comfort and my ease and my safety and my pleasure and my money and my stuff. And it's kind of a small life. And, and, and the Bible teaches, you know what, God has called us to so much bigger than that. So, well, what does a big life look like then, Mike? And, and I would kind of express it this way, that God's plan for your life is that your life would radically alter the course of human history and the fabric of eternity. That your life would radically alter the course of human history and the fabric of eternity as you faithfully follow Jesus and watch him work through you to perform miracles Changing the world, one life, one story at a time. Is that big enough for you? Because that's his plan for you. That your life would radically alter the course of human history and the fabric of eternity. As you faithfully follow Jesus and watch him work through you to perform miracles. Changing the world, one life, one story at a time. That's it. And I know when I say that, it sounds like big, like really big, right? And it sounds pretty intimidating too. But I've been thinking about that. I, I kind of have this theory. I, I, I think God like knows me really well. And, and so I think what he says is like, you just handle the little and I'll make the little big because I'm God, right? It's like the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish fed thousands of people, okay? So, so God says, you just do little things with great faith and watch me handle the big, Okay, so how do you start? Well, you start by doing what Jesus did. Just love the people around you. Love your spouse, love your kids, love your friends, All right? But, 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 know as you're doing it. So, so husbands, as you go home tonight and you love your spouse, as you encourage your wife, as you raise your kids, the whole time you're doing it, don't forget to remember this. What am I doing right now as I'm loving my wife, as I'm encouraging my kids? Oh, what I'm doing is I'm radically altering the course of human history and the fabric of eternity by faithfully following Jesus and watching him perform miracles through me, changing the world one life, one story at a time. That's what you're doing. See, you just, you just do little things with great faith and let God handle the big. But if fear was not a factor for you and me, I think we'd live big. I think we'd also live bright. 
Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter five. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that, I, now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Live big, live bright. Live big, live bright. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. He said, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hatred can't drive out hatred. Only love can do that. It's really amazing. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Live light, live light. Shine, shine, shine. That's the call that God has given you and me. Just shine. It's one of the reasons why at Southside we decided a long time ago that we are going to be known we will be known by who and what we are for, not who and what we are against. Shine. Darkness doesn't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. That's why it's so sad to see over the last decade in North America how political the church has become. See, the problem with being political is you end up choosing sides, which is a nightmare it's a nightmare because when you choose sides, now you've created this, and this is a nightmare, right? You've created us and, and them, which is never the way that God intended it. But when you get political, when you choose sides, you create us and you create them. It should be noted that Jesus never chose sides. He didn't choose to side with the Jewish religious authorities. He didn't choose to side with the Roman government. He chose to side with his heavenly father and he just loved people. The tragic thing about getting political, and I'm not saying, by the way, you shouldn't vote. You should vote. I'm not saying you shouldn't have opinions. You should have opinions. The problem in the North American church today is that too often there's people who are followers of Jesus, but they're more known for their politics than following Jesus. They're more known for the opinions that they've taken on certain topics than they are about than known for their following Jesus faithfully. And the problem of doing that is that you create a nightmare. You create us and them, us and them, us and them, which is never the way that God intended it because if you create us and them, next thing you know, you don't understand that. You get real political. You choose sides on a topic. Now you've created us and them. I want you to think about it. You're a follower of Jesus you're a follower of Jesus. When you get political, when you choose sides, it's like you're saying to them, to them, whoever them are, you're saying to them, you can go to hell. Which of course you don't mean. Which of course I don't mean. Our lives are way bigger than that. Our lives are way brighter than that. So we let our Gratitude fuel our trust and our trust fuels our courage and our courage fuels our vision. We live big and we live bright. You know, I started out this sermon saying 
if you're new or newish and you're still checking out the whole Jesus thing and you've been hurt by somebody, you've met some Christians or you've met some churches that have distracted you from Jesus rather than drawing you to Jesus, I apologize. But now I'm gonna brag a little bit. I wanna brag about this church. I wanna brag about Southside Church. Because if you're here in the building right now and you look around this room, or if you're watching online right now and you look around the virtual room, I don't even know what that means, but let's say you do, you know what you're gonna see? You're not gonna see any flawless people, but you're gonna see a bunch of people who have just been faithfully following Jesus. See, we just kind of came to this conclusion. We're just gonna be grateful people. We're just gonna keep celebrating God's amazing grace. And then we're gonna let gratitude fuel our trust. And even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't want to, we say, Jesus, because you say so, I will. And we've allowed our trust to fuel our courage. And we dream big dreams. We dare greatly because God is bigger than the boogeyman, whatever the boogeyman is. And we've allowed our courage to fuel our vision. We live bright. We're known by who and what we're for. And we live big. We live big. We live big. We do small things with large faith, knowing that God can handle the rest. I want to tell you a story to close today. A few weeks ago, Corinne and I, my wife Corinne and I, were out for dinner, and Corinne got a text from a good friend of hers who is a single mom. And the text basically just said, hey, can you come and pray with me tonight? And Corinne said, of course, yeah, I can. And so when we got home, Corinne went over and and prayed for the single mom. But about five minutes after Corinne left, I got a text and she said, I think I'm gonna be here all night. And I'm like, wow, like an, an all night prayer vigil. That's, wow, that's great. And, and then she explained it. So what basically happened is this single mom found out that she had about 12 hours to move all her stuff, all her daughter's stuff. And she was overmatched. It was her and her 75, 80 year old dad and a moving truck trying to get it all figured out. So I went over there and I looked and I'm like, Matt, this is gonna be an all-nighter. This is gonna be an all-nighter. So I started reaching out to Southsiders. Reached out to Jake Wilkins, our youth director. And the youth that night had just had a record attendance in the history of Southside Church, 243 kids at youth. Isn't that incredible? Youth had just ended. I'm like, Jake, I need your help. So Jake grabbed four youth leaders, Sam and Malachi and Gavin and Owen and they jumped in Jake's car and they headed right over. By that time, I had reached out to some of the members of our staff team and people started pouring in. And by the time everybody got there, there was probably 15 or 20 people there in that little house. And what could have taken all night took about two hours. And this single mom spent the whole night with tears in her eyes. And, and her dad, we kept on trying to get her dad just to take a rest and to sit down. And they were so grateful. And when the whole thing was over, we just met in their garage and everyone had their arms around each other and we prayed. Just thank God for the chance to come together as a family and help somebody who needed a hand, you know? It's really cool. And then about a week later, someone on our staff reached out and she said, guys, I gotta tell you a story about my grandfather and my grandmother. She said, years ago, my grandfather grew up going to church. He sent his kids to church, but something years and years and years ago in my grandfather's life happened. 
there was a church that did something to him. They distracted him from Jesus, repelled him from Jesus. He wants nothing to do with the church now. She said when they try to talk to him about it, he just gets really, really, really angry. So they just don't even bring it up. But this guy has nothing to do with the church, has soured on his view of Jesus. She says, I gotta tell you a story about my grandpa. He's been away from the church for so many years. Something happened, he was hurt. And she said, but then last night he got a text. And he just asked a simple question. He said, is there a pastor at your church named Mike? And she said, yeah, there is. See, it turns out her grandmother is related to that single mom. We didn't know that. Distantly related. And good news travels fast sometimes. See, and word got out to this grandpa and this grandma who had been alienated from the church, distant from Jesus for years. And they heard what 20 wingnuts in Chilliwack did for a single mom who needed help. And he texted. That's what a church should look like. What happened there? I know. We radically altered the course of human history and the fabric of eternity by faithfully following Jesus and watching him work miracles through us as he changed the world, one life, one story at a time. Let's pray. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. So if you're watching online right now, or you're here in person, and you have yet to place your faith in Jesus, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He loves you fully, completely, and totally. I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what you've been shown, but I know this, Jesus loves you. And I know that he called you into this spectacular moment for this decision. Would you put your faith in him today? If that's you today with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, do you wanna just raise your hand? Raise your hand if that's you. If you're watching online and it's safe to do so, you can raise your hand also. Today is your day. Past all the distractions, you wanna place your faith in Jesus. Okay, you can put your hands down. For those of you who raised your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud and I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. <clears throat> I see you. I see you today, I see you clearly, I see your love, I see your compassion, I see your forgiveness, I see your mercy, I see your grace. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that you would be my savior. Forgive my sins, bring me past my past. I ask you to be my Lord, that just as you rose again, after you died on that cross, I pray that you give me the strength to rise into the life that I was created to live, that I would be the truest version of me the me that I was created to be. One next step at a time. And I thank you that you will be with me today, tomorrow, and forever. <clears throat> and Jesus, for the rest of us, for all of us who have been in church for months or years or decades, God, I pray that we would be a grateful people. A grateful people, that we would never forget your amazing grace. Thank you. And I pray that our gratitude would fuel our trust. We confess to you right now, Jesus, that sometimes we don't want to, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, but to the best of our ability, we're gonna live this way because you say so, we will. And our trust is gonna fuel our courage. That even though we walk through the darkest valley, we know this, you are with me. You are with us.
thank you. You're bigger than whatever we're facing. And then I ask that you would give us the ability to live bright lives. That we would be a church, that we would be a people known by who and what we're for. And I pray that we would live big, that we would live big, that we would understand that you have a plan, that we would give confirming evidence, that we would be little examples of you as we follow you, not flawlessly, but faithfully. And then when we hear stories like the one of this grandpa, we would get grateful all over again. And the cycle starts again. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys a lot. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.